Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you love tennis and want to improve your game, this podcast is for you. Whether it's technique, strategy, equipment, or the mental game, tennis professional Ian Westerman is here to make you a better player. And now, here's Ian. Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Tennis Express. Thank you very much for joining me on today's episode. And before we begin, and what we're going to be doing today is a, an interview here in studio with a certified personal trainer. He's been on the show before, but this is going to be a little bit different conversation, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I just want to quickly give a, a brief shout out to everybody who is new inside of Essential Tennis Platinum that was open to new members over the last uh, about a week and a half or so, and a bunch of new members in there, and I just want to say thank you to all of you that signed up, and I'm enjoying going through your videos and your questions already. So looking forward to uh, continuing with all of you. With that, let's go ahead and get to today's episode. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. All right, let's go ahead and get started with today's episode of the podcast. And I'm really excited to have a special guest sitting right next to me here in the studio. We'll be passing the mic back and forth. Hopefully, hopefully that works out well and uh, doesn't result in too much uh, noise on your guys' end. But uh, my, my guest today is Steve Beck. He's a, a certified personal trainer. He writes the fitness blog at EssentialTennis.com. And he also spends a lot of time in the forums inside of the fitness and nutrition section of the forums at EssentialTennis.com. So, Steve, thank you very much for spending so much time uh, on the website and, and with me. And it's great to have you here on the podcast as well. Thanks, Ian. Always a pleasure to be a guest with you. All right. So, we're going to be answering some questions from fans on uh, Facebook of Essential Tennis. I Just last night... Steve and I decided, hey, let's do a podcast episode together. So I, I asked for, for questions and topics from those of you that are on Facebook and follow uh, Essential Tennis. So I, I appreciate the quick feedback from all of you. Before we get to that, I just have two quick questions uh, for you, Steve, before we get to those listener questions. And first of all, I, I know that fitness and you know training, being in better shape has been a passion of yours for a long time. But just recently, you, you actually became certified. You're, you're not now a, a certified personal trainer, which is awesome. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that process that you went through and kind of what that means for you as a uh, somebody who loves fitness and loves, loves helping people uh, get more fit themselves? Sure, Ian. Thanks. Uh, yeah, like you said, it's, uh, tennis has been, or fitness rather, has been uh, a huge uh, passion for me as well as playing tennis. And, uh, for the past 15, 18 years or so, it's something that I've always enjoyed doing. It's, uh, something that I'm really passionate about. Love being in the gym, love lifting weights. And I've recently decided that I needed to take that in a professional, uh, level, uh, kind of like yourself. I'm sure before you were a tennis pro, it was something that you're really excited about and just decided to make it a career path of yours. And so that's something that I took on, uh, at the end of last year and decided to actually go ahead and, and get certified. So I, uh, studied, uh, and I got my certification through the American College of Sports Medicine, which is one of the better certifications out there that you can get. It's not, uh, you know, a weekend, 
or a seminar class that you go and take and pay money and they give you a, a rubber stamp. It's actually a real certification and it's one of the, one of the more highly regarded ones in the industry. So I'm excited to do that. And really my, my intent behind that was just to take my passion for fitness and everything fitness related. And to be able to do it on a professional level. And by nature, I'm a, a teacher and someone who enjoys uh, sharing knowledge. And so it's something that uh, I was really excited to be able to do at a professional level. And um, got some clients that I train on the side right now. And I'm hopeful to leverage uh, my relationship with our uh, uh, tennis facility back home in North Carolina. And hopefully to be able to really provide some tennis-specific fitness information to people and, and help. Uh, players that are passionate about the game improve their on-court performance. All right, great. And that's that's actually kind of why Steve is uh, in town and, and visiting me, is he and I are working on a, a project together that is going to involve showing all of you exactly how to become better tennis players, specifically through fitness and through training. And that kind of combines Steve's two big passions, which are our tennis and 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 physical training. Uh, so it's a good combination, I think. And, and Steve and I are going to be working on that project this week. We're also going to be putting out some free videos um, on EssentialTennis.com and on YouTube. So so watch for those. We're going to be showing you guys some, some great ways to improve your fitness to make yourselves better tennis players. And speaking of that, that's the second uh, quick question I wanted to ask you, Steve, was about that specifically. Can you, can you talk a little bit about training our bodies to be uh, in better shape, to be stronger, to be in better condition, and specifically how that can improve us as tennis players. Is that possible? And to what extent and in what areas of tennis can we specifically improve ourselves in through fitness? Sure. There's um, three specific areas that I think that uh, we as tennis players need to be really cognizant of, and that's flexibility and mobility. Um, and strength and power production. And the last one is obviously, which is important to all of us, which is injury prevention, because we all want to be able to play tennis a lot and not be injured and not be sidelined with injuries. And so, so those are the three main areas. And this is something that you and I kind of talked about um, the last couple of days, is we're seeing more and more uh, things in the recreational game that are uh, carryovers from the pro game. And I think that we would both agree that... Um, recreational players today are able to hit the ball with more power and more spin but by nature of seeing what the pros are doing on TV it's kind of like with any professional sport the things at the higher level filter down into the recreational level and so with the increased uh, amount of physicality of the recreational game uh, we're seeing lots more uh, sport specific injuries uh, we're seeing people with um, deficits in movement as well as flexibility and mobility. And so by being more fit and by strengthening your body and working through the specific ranges of motion and dynamic mobility modes that are present in tennis, uh, those are things that we can definitely improve our on-court performance in. All right, great. Well, I, I really look forward in learning more about this with you during this week as we are shooting a lot of video and working on specific areas of tennis uh, together and, and how we can get better at it. And uh, I look forward to releasing some videos in the near future on the, the website as well. So uh, and with that, let's go ahead and get to our questions today from uh, Facebook fans. Once again, we've got three different ones here that talk about different parts of tennis fitness and 
making yourself a better player through use of correct uh, fitness uh, practices and exercises. Let's start off first with a question from Chris, who wrote on Facebook and said, dynamic warm-up drills are what the pro athletes in football and basketball use. Our academy question is, what kind of dynamic stretching drills should we use and how long for a good warm-up for our elite team? So it sounds like Chris is uh, helping run an academy and he's got some kind of higher level athletes. And Steve, why don't you talk about this and, and kind of that frame of reference, but also to maybe those average, you know, level recreational type players that are listening as well, as far as dynamic warm-up is concerned. Sure. The thing about, and we really, when we make a distinction between high level athletes and recreational athletes, there's lots of things that can carry over and apply to both realms. And so when we're talking about warming up or doing anything with a high level athlete, uh, it's certainly applicable to anyone that plays a sport. I mean, if you're going out and playing tennis twice a week or once a week, uh, it's a, uh, tennis is a, a high mobility, uh, dynamic sport. And so those kind of things will definitely carry over and help you in all areas. So when Chris is asking about dynamic warm-up drills, let's kind of first address the myth that probably everyone has heard that you never want to stretch a cold muscle, right? Um, and, and this is something that you and I talked about as well. And I don't know about you, but my muscles aren't really cold. I mean, my body temperature is close to 100 degrees and there's nutrient-rich blood flowing through my muscles 24-7. Uh, my heart's pumping. In and so I, I have a, a high body temperature, you know, of almost 100 degrees. And so my muscles aren't technically what you would call quote unquote cold. But uh, the important part is uh, working those muscles through a full range of motion and enabling them and, and getting them prepared and ready to do the work that we're going to demand of them. Now, whether that's on the tennis court or the basketball court or lifting in the gym, it's kind of an even a level playing field when you start off. And so there's two main areas that I like to address before I do any kind of work in the gym or on the tennis court. Um, and that's two areas of uh, one is muscle, muscle quality and soft tissue work and mobility work. And I've written a couple of blogs about this and some articles in the past about we'll start off with the, the soft tissue quality. We do something that's called uh, self-myofacial release. Now, if you think of, uh, that sounds really complicated, but I'll, I'll break it down like this. If you think of a uh, chicken breast wrapped in saran wrap, uh, the chicken breast will obviously represent our muscle and our elastyle muscle fibers. And the saran wrap is going to represent the connective tissue that surrounds each and every muscle fiber, but as well, each and every large muscle group. And that's what uh, attaches our muscles to the bone uh, through tendons, right? The, the elastile muscle fiber on the outside uh, is a connective tissue, and it attaches our muscles to the bone and enables us to uh, basically do work. And so over time, uh, that uh, connective tissue around the muscle can get bunched up and can get get bound up, and we need to work that out. And so that's one of the first things that I do with my clients is I have them do some foam rolling or some specific um, tissue uh, work using a tennis ball and things like that. And there's tons of resources out there on YouTube uh, that you can go to and find out about self myofacial release and foam rolling. So can you can you please give us an example, maybe two, three quick examples of um, either foam roller, which not everybody might be uh, familiar with uh, listening, but can you talk about maybe one, maybe uh, two foam roller exercises that you like and maybe one or two exercises that listeners could just use a tennis ball for, which obviously everybody listening has one of those? Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll um, 
you know, when we use the foam roller, we hit the, the large muscles. We use, we use that on the quads, on the uh, illotibial band, which is a, a strap of connective tissue that runs on the outside of your uh, lower upper leg there. And we use it on the upper back and pretty much all major areas of the body. Now, you can use a tennis ball. And like you said, everyone should have a bunch of those laying around at home. So what you can do is just take that and put it down on the ground and put your leg on top of it and work out your hamstring. You can uh, use that and work out your calf and just really uh, get it and digging in there into the muscles and finding those hot spots and those areas where you're really sore and just working them out. It's basically like getting a deep tissue massage. If you've ever had sports massage before, uh, it's the same concept. Um, you can put that under the under the rhomboid muscles on your back and just lay on that and move around and art- articulate the shoulder and, and work out those areas. And those are two specific areas for us as tennis players that really get tight and really get bound up. And that can uh, we can see a whole lot of benefit from from just some simple uh, simple tissue release work. All right. Well, I think that that should probably be one of the videos that we do this week to to put out on YouTube. Would be a, a warm up video slash uh, myofascial uh, release, uh, you know, video to show people how to loosen up those uh, muscles in those parts of our body. Um, all right, with that, let's go to our second question, and that comes to us from Jacob. Jacob wrote and said, "Assuming that they're necessary, what are good cool downs to do after a match? Is jogging any good? And at the moment, that's what I do to cool down. I jog home. What, what do you think, Steve?" Yeah, when I was doing my certification work, they placed. Um what I think is a higher degree of import on the cool down itself than what I think is probably necessary. And it sounds to me like if, you know, you're cognizant of it, um, the, and the reason being that they, that the ACSM states is they want to prevent blood from, uh, pooling in the muscles. And so that's kind of assuming that you do a really hard workout. Um, and you're raising your VO2 max, your, your oxygen consumption level really high and, and working out your muscles on a high level and just basically stepping off a treadmill or stepping off a piece of equipment and sitting down. So it's kind of different for us tennis players because we're not going, you know, maybe a hundred percent all the time. Tennis is a very stop and go sport. It's a very dynamic sport where we'll go very hard for a few seconds and then kind of lull, you know, dial back the intensity for a while. So, uh, my take is that the, the cool down is not tremendously important, but it's certainly something that will help you out if you are, uh, doing some jogging. That's a great way to cool down. Anything, you know, if you could just light walk around, do a couple laps around the court, uh, you could do some, uh, static stretching at that point and kind of lengthen the muscles, you know, which is going to help with long term, uh, any kind of muscle soreness and stability long term. So those are just a couple things. Again, it's not something that I'm tremendously concerned about uh, just by the very nature of the sport that we play. But, you know, it sounds like you're aware of it. And I think that's good. And, and there's certainly not going to be any detriment. There's nothing that's going to take away from your physicality or from your fitness just by doing a warm up. So if you want to include it, that's great. And I think you're doing the right thing by doing the jogging. So if I'm hearing you right, are you saying that there's really not any big risk? And let's say we play a, you know, just take kind of an extreme example and say that we play a three set match, you know, a match goes the distance and it's like two hours long. So if, if I choose to come off the court and just 
sit down, you know, and just drink and just relax and, and allow my, my body to, to uh, just cool down naturally that way. Am I at any greater risk as far as injury or letting my muscles get, you know, tight or anything like that? Or is that just kind of a myth? I wouldn't necessarily call it a mythy, and I would just say that that's probably being, uh, you know, people err on the side of caution. Um, if you think about the pro players and look at, you know, let's take it to that extreme and what they do after a game uh, or, or a serious hard match. You know, uh, if you think of, um, you know, the Australian Open a couple of years ago where we had some really great five setters with Verdasco and Nadal and uh, Federer, you know, those guys worked really, really hard off the court and they probably came off the court. Um, they probably were, got a good massage, you know, worked on their tissue quality, and they probably went and took a contrast, uh, some sort of a contrast bath or something, an ice bath followed by uh, a hot shower and something like that. So that's you could take it to that extreme, uh, but again, it's not a high risk factor. You're not really risking um, damaging your muscle tissue or damaging your joints by not doing anything. If you want to be on the safe side, take a walk around the court for a couple laps, um, you know, jog in place for a few minutes and you'll be totally fine. Okay. And then one, one follow-up question um, that I was just thinking about what you use the phrase static stretching. And I, I just wanted to jump back to Chris's question about the warm up quickly. That's kind of the old school way of warming up, I guess would be, uh, maybe doing like a, you know, a box run or some kind of jogging or jumping jacks or something, you know, to get your heart rate up a little bit, uh, maybe break a, uh, a small sweat and then sit and do static stretching. Is that something that, um, is necessary? Number one. And number two, if, uh, if not, what should be done in its place? Or should anything be done in its place as far as uh, loosening up uh, muscles and, and like the shoulder and legs, et cetera? Yeah, that's a great question, Ian. And that's something that um, we specifically address in the, uh, in the training uh, field. And when we talk about static stretching, you know, obviously all of us think of sitting, doing a runner's lunge or, you know, sitting on the court and with our legs splayed out in front of us and holding a stretch for 15 or 30 seconds. And those things have actually been proven to de decrease uh, sports performance in recent years. The research is bearing that out. So I'm not a huge, I'm not a fan at all of, of doing any static stretching pre-match. Um, there is certainly a time and a place for static stretching. I don't think we as athletes could probably stretch too much, but there's a time and a place for it. I would recommend it after stretching or during our fitness time in the gym or something like that, or while we're at home. But when we get back to talking about what a good warm-up should look like, a good warm-up should be a muscle activation. We want to prepare our muscles to move and to meet the demands that we're going to place on them, either in the tennis court or in the gym. Uh, and we want to mobilize ourselves. And so I, pr I prefer and I recommend a dynamic warm-up. If I'm going to go work out in the gym and have a really hard workout, I'll do my soft tissue work first, and this is what I'll do for my clients as well. And then we'll do some mobility exercises that are specific to the movements that we're about to perform. And it's the same thing on the tennis court. Now, you don't have to take a foam roller with you uh, and do the, the soft tissue element. If you want to, that'd certainly be great. But I would, uh, instead of the static stretching, I much, much, much prefer a dynamic stretch. And that can look like uh, a forward lunge. And without the hold at the bottom, you know, you, you just do a forward lunge and, and 
go down to the bottom for one second and come right back up and do that on both sides. You could combine that, do a forward, and then go back to a reverse lunge. And then for tennis specific, obviously we're talking about a lot of lateral side to side movement. You could do a lateral lunge with a, with the reach to try to incorporate some, uh, shoulder flexibility and upper back flexibility with that as well. Um, we do, uh, one that is, uh, where we place our hands on the net and one foot, um, comes up and we'll swing our leg back and forth to kind of open up the hips. Um, and, so things like that are going to be a lot better and a lot more specific for the movement. Again, the, the myth of um, stretching the cold muscle, uh, our muscles aren't cold. Our muscles are pretty much ready to go. Now, you could come out of the car and jump right in the tennis court and, and have a low incidence of injury. But again, I wouldn't recommend it because we haven't told our muscles, basically warmed them up and told them what we're going to do and prepared them for the action. So you're a lot better off doing a dynamic mobility work without the static stretching element. Okay, great. Thanks for explaining that. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and go to our third question. Again, from uh, Facebook, this comes to us from John. John wrote and said, ask the fitness expert, what's the best way to incorporate weight training into a busy tennis schedule? Hit the gym before tennis, after tennis, on off days, or some combination of all. So I I think John is hitting on something that's really, really prevalent and really on the minds of probably everybody listening that's that's listening to you talk, Steve, and saying, great, you know, I'm... On board, I, I understand that that training my body could make me a better tennis player. I understand that doing these types of exercises can benefit my body, but I, you know, I work full time. I've got a family. I've got kids. I want to play tennis on top of that. And now you're telling me I need to train. How much time is really necessary? And in your opinion, when is the best time to try to squeeze it in for everybody listening that's got a busy schedule already? Sure. And that's a great question, John. I don't know if that's little John or, or John in California that we're talking about, but, um, that's a great question, John. I mean, that's something that's very prevalent and that's something that I hear all the time is I want to get in better shape, but I don't have the time to do it. And I'll take a, a twofold approach to this. One will be, um, the hard answer. And that's that ju- that's just an excuse that you don't have time. Um, you could calculate how much time you spend watching TV or on the internet every week. And I'm sure that we could find the ACM, ACSM recommends a minimum of 150 minutes a week. That's 30 minutes a day, five days a week, if you want to break it down for some cardiovascular activity. And I would bet money that each one of us spend at least 30 minutes a day either on the computer or on the internet or fiddling around when we could be dedicating some time to our fitness. So uh, so you say that they recommend 30 minutes a day, five days a week, um, recommended for what? You know, to, what is that supposed to accomplish? To what end? Is that just... Um just to have a healthy life or to be a, uh, you know, a well-prepared athlete or what's the end for that? Sure. That recommendation is uh, the bare minimum. And so that would be the, the absolute least that you would want to do to negate some risk factors and some morbidity factors, uh, to stabilize, you know, a fasting blood glucose, which has to do with long-term onset of type two diabetes, which is getting very prevalent. Uh, it's the minimum recommendation to control, 
um, weight and you know caloric expenditure and to basically keep you at the bare minimum functioning element. Now, if we're talking about improving performance, we need to go above and beyond that. And it's not just 30 minutes of walking around and doing something really efficient like jogging on a treadmill, but we're talking about increasing that to, you know, whatever levels of um, intense exercise that we're going to do. And, and I know John a little bit, and so I know that John is... Um, uh, has has gotten pretty dedicated to his fitness fitness lately, and I know he's wanting to incorporate more weight training into uh, his schedule. And so, t- part two of my answer, you know, part one was, you know, time is just an excuse. Part two is, you know, my second kind of response to that is, it's a valid question. It's something I think that is valid for each one of us. We want to balance out our lifestyle. We want to make sure that we're spending time with our family and giving the best effort that we can to our work so that we can have free time and leisure time and afford to uh, play tennis and you know buy new rackets and clothes and all that good stuff. And so that's an important thing as well. So we want to kind of find a balance there. Um, my, I think it comes down to personal preference more than anything. And I think it comes down to when you can best fit uh, incorporating fitness into your lifestyle that's going to make it stick. Um, I always tell people the best program that you can be on is the one that you're going to stick to and do consistently. It may not be my ideal one that I designed for you as your trainer, but if I design a program for you and you don't do it, then you're not getting any benefit out of it at all, right? So the best time that you can incorporate it into your day is when you're going to do it consistently, whether that be first thing in the morning. I prefer to go to the gym at lunch uh, because my gym's five minutes away and I can get in an hour workout and I do it four times a week, five times a week, and that's my routine. So I built that into my routine. So um, at night, if, whether you do it before dinner, after dinner, um, depending on how much you're what your activity level is outside of the gym, that's going to be a contributing factor too. I know that uh, John is, I think, maybe a couple years older than me, maybe about the same age as me. I'm 38, and I'm finding that as I get older, if I go to the gym during uh, my lunch hour and then I go to play tennis after work the same day, I tend to get pretty fatigued just because I don't have the juice that I used to have. And so you've got to work around those factors and, and work around your lifestyle, basically. But uh, the only thing that I would caution against is... Um, if you're going to lift early in the morning, just make sure that you wait it, uh, until at least an hour after you've been up and out of the bed. And the reason behind that is overnight, uh, spinal fluid builds up in the discs, and it takes about 45 minutes to an hour for that spinal fluid to dissipate and go back uh, to normal levels throughout the surrounding tissue. And so you don't want to be placing any, any compressive loads on the spine at that point. Uh, other than that, any time of the day is fair game. Um, you could definitely go and lift, uh, have a lifting session before you go out and play tennis. That'd be totally fine if, if that's where your energy level is. And if you're up to it, I would personally, you know, probably prefer going and lifting after because that's going to be a more intense exercise than for me, uh, going and lifting heavy weights than actually playing tennis. So, you know, you just kind of have to adjust it. There's no, uh, better or best time of the day to lift. It's just, uh, when you can get it in. And if you're getting a good, um, resistance training session three to four times a week and working all the major muscle groups, you're definitely going to see a lot of benefit from that. And that'll be a great thing for you long-term. All right. So just, just one more question I have, and I'm sure it's something that a lot of people are, are thinking, and it has to do with a specific, uh, I guess, sentence or phrase that you used early on in that explanation where, where you said that the recommended amount of activity just in general to 
not have a crappy life <laughs> uh, basically was uh, 30 minutes a day, five times a week. And uh, which for a lot, for most people, I, probably sounds like an awful lot. And then you said, you know, if you want to train yourself as an athlete, you know, like to excel at a sport, it should be assumedly even more than that. Now, do you mean that uh, in terms of the amount of time spent? So, I mean, if I want to be a, a top level tennis player athletically or physically fitness wise, do I then need to spend an hour a day, five times a week? Or is it more the um, uh, intensity level or or the uh, resistance level within that? time frame does that make sense is it more intensity or resistance or is it more actual amount of time spent sure yeah definitely um the latter i mean the uh really doesn't come into it i mean you could spend 30 minutes five times a day walking around and i would i would argue and i think that it would be obvious to everyone that that's not really going to help you improve on the tennis court right going for a stroll after you know you eat a, a cheeseburger and french fries to kind of work off the same calorie now it's going to put you in somewhat of a calorie balance so far as what comes in and what goes out yeah it's going to burn off a little bit but it's not going to improve your on court performance and so yeah the, like like we said the bare minimum for just maintaining uh, some some general health markers is going to be that 150-minute mark, that 30 minutes uh, times five times a week, 30 minutes a day. Now, if you want to actually improve, you're going to have to obviously do some things that are sports-specific. Uh, you're going to have to actually do some functional training, and we're going to have to incorporate some resistance training into that as well. And so we add a cardiovascular element by doing either some high-intensity interval training or some other kind of... Um, something that really challenges your uh, VO2, your oxygen absorption rate, or we do add in some resistance training element. Um, I could tell you from a personal standpoint that I spend, um, you know, about four hours, maybe five a week training. And so that puts me, uh, you know, probably above the, uh, above the median for what the population is. But I do, you know, some serious weight training uh, when I go into the gym. And so even if you were just to do 30 minutes of resistance training or 30 minutes of uh, hard running or serious cardiovascular work as opposed to that walking, you're going to get a ton more benefit. So it's not only the, you know, it doesn't come down at the end of the day to the amount of time that you're doing it, but it's about what you're doing with your time. Uh, if you think about, you know, what you see a lot of people doing in the gym, they go and they uh, stand on the treadmill and they turn on the TV and they walk for 30 minutes. That's a really efficient way of killing time basically and it's unfortunately it's a really your body gets really efficient at um, that exercise and it doesn't get challenged and it doesn't really get any benefit from it and so you got to think about again at the end of the day what is what am I doing with my time in the gym or you know with any kind of fitness training that I'm doing and what is what is what am I expecting to get out of that time I hope that uh, kind of answers your question Ian yep Oh, Steve, uh, at this point, I'm going to wrap things up because we're out of time, but I want to thank you very much for spending uh, your, your time with me and with uh, the listeners of the show. And thank you to everybody who submitted questions, even if we didn't uh, um, read them and, and answer them specifically here on today's show. I want to thank you very much for giving your feedback. I always appreciate that on either Facebook or Twitter. And Chris, Jacob, and John, thank you for your questions that we used today. And Steve, uh, it's, it's been great having you here this week so far. I, I look forward to continuing our, our project together, and I'll be releasing more details about that as we get closer to um, 
actually releasing it. But in the meantime, Steve, uh, thanks again. And I look forward to uh, putting out some free videos later this week to everybody listening on EssentialTennis.com. Yeah, thanks for, for having me, Ian. And, and guys, thanks for the questions. And if you have fitness questions, like Ian said at the beginning, I'm, I'm on the forum a lot, and I'm more than happy to answer those. Just post in the fitness section, or you can send me a, a personal message. I post as Steve-O on the forums, and I'll be glad to help you out with anything I can. All right, that does it for episode number 171 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Thank you very much for joining me on today's episode. And I want to briefly mention the official sponsor of the Essential Tennis Podcast, which is TennisExpress.com. Please check them out by going to EssentialTennis.com slash Express. That will shoot you right on over to Tennis Express. And any purchases you make, a small percentage will come back to help support the Essential Tennis Podcast. So I thank them for their support and thank you, all of you that have been making orders through them, uh, through my link. I really appreciate that. Real quickly in wrapping up today's show, I want to read a comment from last week's show from Paul in North Carolina. And he's the one that that asked the question in episode number 170 about taking lessons and making the best use of your time on the court in lessons. Uh, and just a fic, uh, quick, uh, fic, just a quick uh, follow-up uh, comment here from him after listening to the show. He said, I'm going to follow your advice and A, take a lesson once per week. B, practice on my problem stroke three to four times per week between lessons. I'm sorry, two to three times per week between, between lessons. I guess that I just didn't realize that it would take this long to develop muscle memory. Also, I'll admit to being a little embarrassed to go back to the same pro and work on the same stroke time after time. I keep thinking that whenever I turn around to retrieve balls, the pro must be rolling their eyes thinking, when, if ever, will this moron learn to what I'm trying to teach them? Your message, however, seems to be that good pros understand that it takes a long time and that so long as the student is A, taking the pro's advice, B, working hard at improving, that they probably aren't mulling over the moron term during the lesson, or at least not very often. Thanks again, Ian, and I'll let you know how things go. Yeah, Paul, you, listen, if if you are working with somebody that has been teaching tennis for any length of time, they, I mean, this is what they do every day, is they wake up and they spend eight hours on a tennis court with you know, average Joes, you know, just your typical recreational level tennis player. And these are people that, you know, they're not lifelong trained athletes or anything like that. And so it's their job to help guide these players, recreational players to improving their tennis. And anybody who's done that for any period of time, trust me, has built up a, a large tolerance of patience uh, they they understand the process that it takes, and they this person is absolutely not thinking that you are a bad person or a bad athlete because you don't pick it up your first time. I I, I could tell you many many stories about spending dozens and dozens of hours with the same students at my my uh, my last teaching job working on the same stroke multiple times per week for months and months, trying to improve one stroke and uh, just coming back over and over again, using video analysis. I mean, every possible uh, way to, to help people improve and, and still just over and over again, working on the same stuff. And what it comes down to is what you said, muscle memory, and it takes a long time to reverse that. It's, it's a habit. And 
no matter what the habit is, you know, uh, in life, you know, it doesn't even have to be athletic or uh, tennis related. It could be, you know, in, in eating habits or a social habits or something like, you know, quitting drinking or smoking or whatever. I mean, we know that any kind of habit like that, it takes a, a long time and a lot of commitment to break. And uh, it's the same thing with, with tennis technique habits. So I, not that it's the same thing as quitting smoking, right? I, I'll, I'll go ahead and say this, probably not the same thing, but, but you get the idea. Um, so Paul, thanks very much for listening. And I'm glad that the, uh, that show was helpful to you. And it sounds like you've got a good plan laid out there. And I'm looking forward to hearing back from you and seeing how your progress is. So thanks for listening. And the rest of you, thank you all for listening as well. I really appreciate it. And I'll be talking to you all again next week. Until then, take care and good luck with your tennis.